Bibles, John chapter 4. Uh, we're going to start in 34. Um, start John 4, 34. Um, we'll actually be all throughout the book of, or chapter 4 today. Um, kind of game plan, we'll start at the end. Uh, and then I'm going to go back and we'll work through. And then we'll get back to the end where we're going to end. So um, that's kind of the game plan there if you want to know. Um, wow, uh, I, I was off... Um, a week ago, uh, spring break, got to uh, I mean, just spend some time with family, enjoy, uh, enjoy that. Got to go to West Virginia for a little bit, uh, and then from West Virginia, we went to Kentucky to see a big boat. I don't know if you heard about it, like there's, there's this big boat up there, Noah had this ark thing, and um, no, a great, great, great um, ministry up there. Uh, Answers in Genesis uh, have, has made a replica of that boat, and that was just really, really cool um, to be able to go up there and kind of walk through that, and to, I like to watch my kids be like, that's a big boat, Dad. Uh, yeah, yeah, buddy, it is. But to be able to kind of talk with him through some of that and see some of that was just, it was phenomenal. And just to, I guess, marvel at our God and, and how he, I mean, throughout the scripture, the thread has always been this rescue and redemption. We blow it and we mess up and God steps in and rescues and redeems. Uh, and that's what that boat is, is God coming for man. Um, and so just, just, just watching that and looking at that, and then we uh, go back to Tennessee for the weekend, meet some friends there, and just enjoy, just enjoy a weekend there, and then get back. Um, but for me, it started, like, like really, the wheel started turning pretty much as we're on the road. We're driving up the road, and I'm just trying to think and, and pray about, like, where are we going? Like, like what, God, what would you want to say? Because I, I don't, I don't want to say stuff. Like, if, like, you guys know that, right? If Scott says stuff, it, it doesn't end well. It, it doesn't do anything for anybody in the room. Uh, but when God speaks, it changes absolutely everything. And so after Easter and driving on the road, and that's just kind of how my brain works. Um, God, what's next? What, what do you want to do? What do you want to say? What do you want to accomplish? I mean, I knew Austin would be preaching the week uh, after Easter. I mean, I mean, he did a great, great job. Thank you for that, Austin. Just been communicating God's word last week. Did a phenomenal job. Uh, the, only, the, only, the only thing we need to talk about, dude, is you don't ever let them out before 11.15. Anyways, I said, I'll never preach in this church again. But what that has done is it's freed me up to go longer today, right? So I've been on vacation. So I'm, like, I'm amped up. I saw a big boat, and I'm ready to go. So just go ahead and wait till 12, and we'll see where we're at then, and we'll make the decision whether or not God says enough's enough. And I'm just joking. Um, but, but, man, he, he did a phenomenal job. And, and what a challenge last week, too. I mean, to tackle Hosea uh, and just to ask that gut-wrenching, heart-shaking, soul-searching question, what uh, would you do whatever God asks you to do no matter what? Wow. Wow. Uh, I mean, have you thought about that question? And I, I don't want to preach a sermon. I mean, he, 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 he don't need my help. Um, but what a question to ponder. Uh, what a question to think about. And, and I know uh, in our mind, oh, yeah, yeah, I would, of course, yes, yes, yes. And, and we think of all the big stuff. Kind of like Jose there marrying a prostitute. Like that kind of stuff. And how that prostitute would continue to be unfaithful, which really is just a, a picture of us. Or, or, or what, what country God would you send me to? It's, it's those type of questions, like our mind automatically goes to, like, what, what country would you send me to? Or, or what would you ask me to give up of some, some importance or bigness? Though, like, that's the thought we think of whenever we think of, like, God asking us a question to do something. And all reality, he's already asked us a question. To give up absolutely everything for the cause of him. For what he's done for us. And, and so that's where our heart has to go. That's where we have to go, but God has asked us to join him in so many other areas of the mundane saying yes daily to the things that we struggle with, like spending time in prayer this week, opening up his word and letting him direct us and shape us and mold us, or serving our neighbor, 
or, or caring for the widow. I mean, I mean th- those are huge, monumental. Yes, Lord, I'll do that too. We think of the big things, but, but that's what God's asking us to do. And, and, and I'm going to ask you to do the same thing this week as we wind down, as we close here in a little bit. And so just hearing that sermon and just reflecting back over, uh, over Easter, man, wasn't Easter great? I mean, to be able to gather, I mean, you forget a year ago, we couldn't get in this place. We wanted to be safe and cautious and careful, and we didn't know, and we still don't know a whole lot, but, but we know that God's in control, excuse me, control, and to be able to gather here on Easter Sunday and celebrate with the family, we had a little over 300, and, and, and we dismiss, and we leave, and we're on the road, and I'm just thinking, okay, God, what's next? What, what do you want to say? I want to hear your voice. And so for me, like, I love to just get in a little series kind of hang out in a book and just like tear it apart and like look through it and try to figure out, okay, what's God doing there? What would it mean for us? What, what is he saying? What does this mean? That mean? What's he doing? What, what would he call us to do and be? That's what I like to do. But he's just not going to let me do that yet. He's just not going to let me get to that place yet. So, so what we're going to do is we're going to have a few standalone sermons over the next couple of weeks. Uh, so stuff like this where God's just kind of led me to some scriptures, kind of put some things on my heart and we're just going to walk through those. And, and then maybe we'll kind of do a little mini-series to get us to the summer. But that, that's what I'm kind of praying through and seeking. But, but, but that's kind of where we'll be. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you if you join me as we pray. And then we'll, we'll jump into John 4 here in a minute. Father, we, uh, again, just thank you. Praise you for this morning. God, I just pray that you move and speak. Father, God, your spirit's heavy in this place. And I just ask, God, that you would remain that way. Oh, God, that you would convict, that you would draw. God, that you would save, that you would rescue God, that you'd give us a passion and a burden for the things that you have a passion and a burden about. And God, we are going to see that at the very core this morning. It's got to help us hear what you have to say. And then we pray. Amen. Amen. So my hope for us this morning is this. The main gist of what we're going to look at this morning is this. Is that God would stir in us for the lost and hurting. That he would stir up in us a greater desire for that. That he would put a burden in our hearts so heavy to go after people. That we would be serious about evangelism. That we would be serious about missions. That we would be serious about conversation, intentional conversation, all geared around the gospel. And so after reflecting back over Easter and the amount of people that we had here on Easter, that, that aren't our people. The people that visited, that came, and I know how Easter works in the church, right? I, I've been around it long enough, I know, and we're in the South, and if anyone's going to go to church, it's, it's what, it's Christmas and Easter, that's when we have that influx, and that's when we have uh, more people come than ever, and I know that some of that's because uh, maybe mama just won't get off somebody's back. And so, I mean, you, uh, you can oblige her twice a year, right? Maybe even three times, Mother's Day's coming up, so just a little thing to throw out there for you, parents, but, but, but anyway, I mean, like, I know that nudging. Or maybe a neighbor, and we're, we're so much more intentional, aren't we, about Easter, because we know we've got the opportunity that, that if there's a chance, it's going to be Easter or Christmas. And so we maybe go at it a little bit harder, trying to invite. But, but I believe it was because we were more intentional. I mean, I really believe that this year. Like, like, like Monday, Thursday, well, we just spent time praying for people. I mean, I mean, I've got cards upon cards upon cards right here of names that we nailed to the cross of people that we were praying for, that we get here, that God would soften their heart, that we have the opportunity to hear the gospel. And I believe it's because we were intentional about inviting. It's all about being intentional. So, so for me, over the last two weeks, man, it just had this echoing deep in my soul from the scripture, this, this phrase, over and over and over. And, and I believe that it's very, very relevant for us living in today's world. John 4.34 is where we're going to start. John 4.34 says this, Jesus says to them, 
talking to his disciples, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. So, so they're worried about Jesus because Jesus needs to eat. Jesus needs some food in his stomach, and so his disciples are worried about him. And Jesus stops them in that moment and says, Hey, look, I'm more concerned about eating the will of the Father, doing the will of the Father, and being obedient to God than I am even uh, fulfilling the needs of the pains in my stomach. I mean, hey, what, what driving desire? Oh, I'll get, I'll get to lunch when I can get to lunch. Or, or I'll get dinner when I can get dinner. That's what Jesus like, man, I'm engaged with the Father right now, and he's put something upon me, and I'm doing what he's asked me to. I'm more worried about his will than, than the Big Mac at lunch. I'll get to it in a minute. Just hang tight, boys. Just wait, in essence, is what he's saying. In verse 35, he says, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? And we'll unpack that here in a little bit. And then it's this phrase. I just couldn't shake this phrase. I don't know why sometimes God will do that, put things on my heart and just kind of stir me and stir me and stir me and won't let me get away from it. And it's this phrase, he says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. I mean, I just couldn't shake that. I just couldn't get that off of my heart. The thought that the fields are white for harvest, meaning that they are ready for the crops to be gathered. That they are ready for the crops to be taken in. And hear me, Jesus isn't talking about produce here. I know we're in the south, and, and again, my parents moved down in August, and they are freaking out about these strawberries. Can you not get a dang strawberry anywhere, anytime? I mean, come on. We've got grocery stores now. I mean, but like they, like they, they are like just crazy. Like they, they're crazy about the strawberries. And then you know what's going to happen? It's going to be peak season. And they're going to go nuts about it. It's like they've never had fruit before. We have fruit in West Virginia. But they are giddy and they are just like geeked up about this fruit and, and gathering that. They want to go, let's go get some. I mean, probably next year I'll be out back planting strawberries and peaches for them. I don't know. But it's like they are just like, and, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. That's not what he's talking about at all. And I feel like this is the day that we're living in though. Where Jesus finds himself in this moment is the, is the day that we're in. I mean, everything that we've seen and experienced I mean, over the last year, for some of us as followers of Jesus, this is where he's got us. And so this morning, I want to press hard on us going after. Going after. So I want to go back, and I want to do the work to get us to where we're at in this point of the story. So back in John 4.4. John 4.4. Flip over just a little bit, or just look look to a couple pages to the the left. But John 4.4 says this, And he, he being Jesus, makes this comment. He says, And he had to pass through Samaria. So the thing that we need to understand is in this day, a Jew would never have to pass through Samaria. That statement right there, you, we, I don't know if you circle, underline, I don't know what you do, but, but a good Jewish, would, Jewish person would never have to pass through Samaria. They just didn't do that. They would never go that direction. They would do everything in their power not to have to. It would kind of be like if, if Samaria's over there and I'm a good Jewish guy and I need to get to the, or, or get Samaria's here and I need to get past Samaria to over there and I'm, like, I'm trying to figure out like, how am I going to do this? I uh, can't go that way. <sighs> I'm definitely not going to go that way. So if I was a good like, Jewish guy in that day and Samaria's right there, I- I'm doing this. Like, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm feeling better about myself now that I'm way back here. Like, you know what those Samaritans are like, right? So I'm not about to. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go like this right here. And what's funny right now is, oh, he's, he's on camera. Dang it. It would have really been funny. But like, like I'm going to go, uh, Samaria's over there. Let me just do like the side shuffle for a second to get away from those Samaritans. All right. We're good now, boys. Come on. Like, like, 
Like that, that's what they would do. They would, they would never go through Samaria to get to where they had to go. But look at Jesus' words. No, no, no. no, no. I had to pass. No, Jesus, you don't ever have to pass through Samaria. That's not what you do. And my fear is that's maybe some of our mentality in our heart. I can't talk to those people. I can't be around those people. I can't go to that. I can't. No, I, I can't. I may catch something from that. And I'm not talking about a plague or a flu or sinus stuff. Like we don't catch sin from sinners. Like we are that. We're all infected already. But for those of us in Jesus, we have found uh, the antidote. And it's the cross. And, and so they would have done everything in their power to, to go around. To, uh, they would elongate their trip if they had to, to stay away from Samaria. See, the Samaritans, they were just a remnant of, of the northern Jewish kingdom who had they'd intermarried with foreigners. After the chiefs and the nobles, after they had been carried into exile in 729 B.C., they had once built a separate worship place on their own mount. They'd rejected all the Old Testament uh, except their version of the first five books of Moses. And so there's this great animosity this great hatred toward, toward each other. And it's been there for, for centuries. See, the, ways that, the way that a Jew would look at a Samaritan is as a half-breed. They would look at them as less than human. And so I'm just, I'm just going to just, just touch for a second and back out. You think the race stuff we've got going on today in our world and our culture right now is bad? That looks, that looks like peewee compared to what they were going through in their day. And hear me, it wasn't right in their day, and it's not right in our day. I don't think I need to go further on that, do I? All right. Not right in their day, not right in our day. So we don't have to go around people. We don't have to be fearful of. God has given us a spirit, not a fear. I don't fear man. We don't fear man. What if we're about catching something? Well, what if they take my life? Then I get to be with Jesus. Whoever it may be, whatever color of skin, whatever they're, who cares? I get Christ. So, so that's what Jesus is. I love, I love that. I just, uh, this is what Scripture does to us, church. As we read and we look at words and we think about it from on, he had to pass through Samaria? If you know anything about Jesus, he has to do it. Well, because he is purposeful and intentional in everything that he does. Everything that he does. Jesus doesn't do anything happenstance or, or on a whim or, or uh, unbeknownst. No, no. He's he very, very intentional with prayer and seeking his Father and being obedient to what God has called him to do. Always. And that's how he governs and rules and reigns even to this day. Verse 5, it says this. So he came to a town in Samaria called Shachar near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. In verse 6, jo uh, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus wearied as he went from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And this is about the sixth hour. So this is very interesting. Jesus enters this town, sits by this well, uh, what would have been around noon in the day. Noon in the day. And so that lets us know what's happening in this culture. That lets us know what's happening at this time. Because look as the story continues to unfold. So he's sitting there at this well about noon, and a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Random woman? I think not. Random time? I think not. Everything is purposeful and intentional. And as she gathers there, look at what Jesus does. He engages her, which is a big no-no in this culture. Uh, 
you don't do this. As, as a, one, as a Jew to be in Samaria. Two, as a Jewish man to engage a Samaritan woman. You don't do that. And look at what he said to her. Give me a drink. Right there in the middle of this hostility, Jesus sits down and he asks this woman for a drink. See, the people of this day would have went crazy. They would have lost their minds over this. Jesus can't do that. He can't be there around those people talking to that woman. Do you know what that means at that time of day? No, he can't do that. This kind of behavior is, is, is not right. It's unheard of. Unheard of. And her being there at this time of day is a dead giveaway. It's, it's a dead giveaway that she has damaged goods. That, that her past is horrific. That she is an outcast in her day. That, that she has done some things that has gotten her kicked out, looked down upon, judged harshly over. And this is a time when those people would show up at that place. And you knew not to be there then. Because you don't want to get lumped in with those people. You don't want to be around those people. You don't want to catch what they might have. It'll get on you and it'll be horrific. I mean, it's just all kinds of just junk going on in this story. And Jesus walks right up into the middle of it. I love that about Jesus. Verse 8, it says this. It says, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, so she responds back, how is it that you would you ask me for a drink? A woman of Samaria. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So now he's got her attention. She probably would have been shocked to see him sitting there, but, but, but now that he has engaged her in conversation, like she, she's in, she's taken back by this moment. And so instead of answering him directly, what Jesus does is he uses this opportunity to take that, that, uh, that focus and that amazement up a notch. Verse 10, it says this, and so he answers her back and says, if you knew the gift of God and who, was, who it is at this saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So what Jesus says here is really, really amazing. What he says here is really, really big. He says the amazing thing is that you're not asking me for water. I asked you for water in this moment. But the reality is you should be asking me for water. And did you hear what he said about that water? It's not just water. It's like it's living water. He calls it a gift from God. That's what he calls it. That's, he's starting to just kind of pique this woman's intent, interest. He's starting to kind of just, just, just push a little bit in some areas to, to, to arouse her somewhat, to kind of, uh, what the world's going on? What's happening? What is he doing? But she doesn't really get it yet. She's not there. Her, her background hasn't made her a prime candidate for spiritual insight. She, she hasn't been around us. She's not, if anything, uh, uh, the spiritual elite of the day would have, uh, would have crucified her, would have had enough of her, would have, would have looked down upon her. Would have, she's an outcast at noon at the well. She's simply just enslaved by her flesh and her spirit's dead. She's lost. And so she skirts his statement, and look at what she does in verse 11. The woman says to him, Sir, you don't have anything to draw water with, and that well's deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So what she's doing is she's saying, if you want me to drink water that doesn't come from Jacob's well, then then you've got to think that you're better than Jacob. And in all reality, he is. Now he doesn't say it. He's going to get to that in a moment. but, But he doesn't come out like that. If this water is good enough for Jacob, it's got to be good enough for me is what she's saying. 
she's, she's, just, she's not getting what Jesus is talking about here. She just doesn't understand it. And hear me, church, that's how the world is with us. They don't understand us. They shouldn't. Why? Because they don't have the Spirit of God living in them, drawing them, showing them, convicting them, encouraging them. So when we open up the Scriptures and we begin to read the Scriptures, it's different for us than it is a lost person. It's, not, it's the living Word of God for us. It changes and shapes and molds and draws and convicts and does a work on our heart. And it's going to do the same thing for them. They're just not at that place yet. So we've got to understand that. We've got to know that when we engage the lost world. So the story goes in on in verse 13. And Jesus says to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water uh, that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus says the amazing thing is not that I can just give you water out of a bucket. But the water that I can give you is going to take away your thirst forever. It's going to take away, I mean, think about that for a moment. I mean, just think about it from a physical standpoint. I mean, you're, you're out on a hot summer day doing what you're doing out in the yard. And what, what do you want more than anything? You want water. Good, cold, ice cold water. It just quenches that thirst. and make, Your tongue quits sticking to the roof of your mouth. And you get your words out. And that, uh, whatever that film is on the side of your mouth, I mean, it goes away. And it's just, ah, oh, Refreshing. And what Jesus says is, I've got something that will do that for your soul. Oh, church, how the flesh longs for that. How God has wired in us and created in us need for relationship, need for him. And we've got to get our heart and mind around the reality that the world doesn't see it that way. She didn't. That's why, as we're going to find out in the story of all the men that she's been with, she's trying to find her identity, she's trying to find her hope, she's trying to find her security in somewhere else. That's where the world's at. And that's quite all right because we've got the water that's flowing freely, that's fresh, and will help us never thirst again for those things. That's what we offer, that's what we have, that's what Jesus is talking about. That's what he's trying to tell her. It'll take away that thirst forever. And the amazing thing about this is that this water will turn into a spring that brings eternal life uh, to herself, not just to her, but to others as well. Man, I hope that encourages you this morning. Think about that reality for a moment. I mean, sometimes, I don't know about you, but I just, I feel defeated. I just feel so sinful. I don't know, I don't know how God can use me in his church. But God, through his mercy and grace, reminds me of stories like this through the scripture all the time. All the time. I was talking to a friend this week just about uh, David and how could David be considered a man after God's heart after all that he did. I mean, have you ever thought about that? Uh, I mean, I mean his, his, his track record's not very good, is it? I mean, he started out okay at the beginning and then he, I mean, he drifted quick, did he not? Which could happen to any of us when we take our eyes off of Jesus. I don't care who you are, how strong or how great you think you are. Or, and usually like the telltale sign is, oh, I would never do that. Bullseye. Satan's like, game on, baby, let's go. You'd never run off with her, or you would never do that, or you'd never take some of that, or you'd never act like that, or you'd never respond to that. I'm in. Satan's like, we'll play this game if you want to, big boy. And so looking at David and just his life, right? I mean, he, he looks at a woman, and he's like, ah, I want her. And so what does he do? He gets her. And then he, she gets pregnant, and then he freaks out. And then what does he do? He tries to cover it up. And so he brings in the husband. He's out at war, brings in the husband. What does the husband do? He's like, hey, you should go be with your, your wife. Oh, you've worked, yeah, go, yeah. 
And man, what a noble dude. He's like, I can't do that. My guys are out on the field battling. I can't go lay down with my wife and be with her. And so what does he do? He goes, they sends him back to war. And what does David do? Everybody pull back, let him go on out. Uh, one against two never ends well, right? I mean, you may have seen like Chuck Norris and some of that stuff. Um, and, and like I've talked to karate guys before. Like I'm not a karate guy, look at me. But um, I, like I've talked to him. I'm like, well, what, what really happens when it's like one on seven? He's like, um, well, if they all come at you at the same time, you're done. The one always loses. Now, I mean, there's some chances. Like, again, if you're Chuck Norris, you could probably do some stuff. But, um, but, but anyways, so, so it's like, and so they pull back. I don't know why I said all that. I'm sorry. It's been gone for a week, right? And so I'm, and you went short. Um, so he pulls back, and the woman's husband's killed. He's committed adultery, tried to cover it, cover it up, and then he has the husband murdered. Only would have been called what? A man after God's heart. How in the world... How in the world? For God to look at him and call him, because church, hear me, it's not what happens in your sin, it's what happens after. For the believer of God, for the child of God, it's what happens after. We need one, and we'll get to this in a minute, we need to quit trying to cover up our sin. We just need to be honest. We just need to be real. We need to have accountability. We need to have people in our life. We need to confess. We need all of those type of things. And two, it's, it's, it's the way we respond in that, doing that. You, you always bring darkness into the light to expose you always, always do that. So what happens? David turns his heart back to God. Same thing goes for us, right? There is forgiveness and mercy and grace at the cross for us, church. So I don't care how bad you think you've been. I don't care what you're involved in right now. God, you can't out the grace of God. Can't do it. I don't care how big and bad you think you are in it. And so, so we see that. I mean, I mean I just, I'm just reminded of these type of stories. And encouraged by it. I mean, I mean, what are we seeing here? We're seeing a worldly-minded, unspiritual harlot from Samaria. It, she can become what? Not just saved, which is an amazing thing in and of itself. But what Jesus tells her is that you can become a fountain of life in others' lives. That, that you, can, you can share and you can be that fountain of life. She can be used to give life. And I'm just so thankful just as, as, I, as I look and as I see and as I turn from my sin and I continue just to drink the well that is known as Jesus that I can be of some use to the Lord. And I believe this is what Jesus wanted her to hear in this moment. I believe this is what he was saying to her in this moment. And she just couldn't understand it. Her spiritual sense in this moment is just so hardened that she can't hear what Jesus says. So what does Jesus do? He turns up the heat. He, he turns up the heat. The woman said to him in verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have, um, or have to come here to draw water. And it just shows that the woman's hopelessly lost in this moment. She can't see beyond her physical sense. Jesus, so what does Jesus do? Again, he turns up the heat and he touches the most sensitive, vulnerable spot in her life. Look at verse 16 as it gets extremely awkward. I mean, imagine yourself in this moment with Jesus. Which, which I just want to say, if you're a child of God, you've been there. Because that's how you got to be a child of God. When he is pointed out and he is pressed on those areas that are nasty and dirty and, and just uh, wicked and depraved. And, and he goes to that most vulnerable, sensitive spot that you've got and he begins to push on it. Why? To show you of your great need for him. And look at what he does. He does it to her too. This is how Jesus works. He says, says to her in verse 16, go call your husband and have him come here. And the woman answered. I mean, can you imagine this moment? I'm like, we're cool. We're talking about water. We're doing our thing. How's the weather? How's your team doing, Jesus? And now he goes there. Go call your husband. I have no husband, she said. 
you're right in saying that you have no husband. Oh, okay, it'd be cool like that conversation ends there, but it doesn't, does it? Jesus takes it a step further. He says, you're right for, you have had five husbands and the one that you're with now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Oh, that's not culturally acceptable today though, is it? That's not relatively right in today's world. We can't do that. We, we, if you care enough about somebody, you can. If you're committed to walking with somebody long enough, you can. If you engage them in the right way, in the right manner, you can. If you care for somebody in the right way, we, we can do this. So, so why does Jesus strip open this woman's inner life like this? Because Jesus has a heart for her rescue. See, I think what happens in the church so often is that we don't get committed enough and care enough about people to stay engaged long enough with somebody, so we never get to get to this point. That's why it's so easy for the world to look at us and say, hey, you're just judging. You're just judging. Well, one, yeah, we do judge because Scripture gives us the right to do that. Um, again, we're judging on a much different standard than what they're thinking we're judging on, and it's not really judgment for us. It's just accountability. And everyone in this room who takes the name of Jesus has the right to look at me and ask any question at any time. As well as do I with you. Any question at any time. There's nothing off limits. Why? Because we have got a dad who says we have opportunity to engage each other in life and care for one another to do that. We just live in a world today where we don't do that. And so Jesus sets his eyes on rescue and redemption here. See, Jesus says over in John 3.20, it's not going to be on the screen, just, just listen. He says, everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. So I'm just going to make a statement, then we'll kind of move on. The reason why you've never confessed your sin to someone is because you like your sin too much. The reason why nobody knows you fully is because you don't want to fully be known. Because there's a part of you, and hear me, hey, hear me, because I'm, 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 I'm preaching to the choir here because I'm the same way. There's a part of me that just likes sin. There is a part of me that just doesn't want to submit sometimes to Jesus. There is a part of me where I want my flesh to get what my flesh wants. But I know what that does. I know the heartache that it brings. I, I, I know the hurt that happens there. I, I know the deep-rooted issues that start to spur up even more and the strongholds that start to take place. I know all of that. And thank God that he has rescued me and that he has shown me and that he's allowed me to play in that for a moment only to have me be revealed. I mean, God is loving and gracious enough for your sin to find you out. Do you know the scripture says that? That, that he is loving. How is that loving and gracious? Because he cares for you and he expects more out of you and he sees so much more for you than what you see for yourself. And so, and so that, the reality is I think that we just, we like it too much. Christians don't really like the light either. I mean, we, we tolerate it from time to time and we enjoy it in certain areas and certain circumstances and situations. But, but man, to confess those things to somebody else? I don't know about that. Because we rarely even confess it to Jesus. To confess it to somebody else? No, we need to get that junk out in the light, y'all. We have got to pull that out. It will kill us. And destroy us. Do you know why so many men who stand in the pulpit get exposed? It's because of that. Be because they don't want to tell. They don't want to share. What will somebody say? Who cares what somebody thinks about me? The only opinion in this room that matters is Jesus. That's who I'm living for. I don't, I'm not here to impress anybody. 
No, no, I don't need a pat on the back. I don't need a clap. I don't need a that a boy. I don't, none of that. I need, I need Jesus to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's all I'm living for. All I'm living for. And I fight tooth and nail for that every day. Fight for that. So I want my dark, deep stuff here to be exposed and pulled out. Why? Because if not, then I'll be the next guy. I will be the next guy that says, oh, I'll never do that. That'll only have that happen. And I will be pulled out and I will be embarrassment. First and foremost to Jesus, I'll be an embarrassment uh, to my family. I'll be an embarrassment to my wife. I'll be an embarrassment to this community. I'll be an embarrassment to this church. I mean, p- people don't get over that stuff. I mean, what the sin in my life, the things that I could do that would derail people for years. One, that's just way too much what you put on a person. You don't follow me, you follow Jesus. Never forget that. Remember, Paul says, only uh, follow me as long as I what? Follow Jesus and do what Jesus does? Same thing here. It's going to be echoed here for, in, in, until this place is no more. So, so don't put your stock in me. You put your stock in Jesus first and foremost. And if you don't see Jesus in me, you, you better let me know. And if I don't see Jesus in you, I better let you know. And so when I open up this Bible to preach week in and week out, that's, that's part of what I'm doing. Okay, Jesus, Jesus, what area in me is not matching up to this? What area in me is not matching up, up to what you would say or what you would do? Uh, I don't know where I got off on all that, but, but what I'm saying is this. We needed it this morning, right? And I've been on vacation. What Jesus is saying is this, is that we need to pull that into the light because concealed sin keeps us from seeing the light of Jesus and his truth. See, sin deadens our senses and it thrashes our soul even though we don't feel it in that moment. So her response is that universal response when we're called out or we're confronted. Enough about me, but what about you? Have you ever had that conversation with somebody where you kind of maybe try to bring something up? Yeah, but do you know what you do? Yes, I do, and we can get to that in a minute if we can just kind of finish here for a second. And trust me, you don't have a clue about how the stuff that I do. Jesus does, and he still loves me. Anyways, that's another sermon for another day. But she kind of, she kind of goes there. She, she, she tries to derail verse 19. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So now she's starting to pick up on some stuff. Now she's starting to get some stuff. And so she tries to suck Jesus into this academic controversy that's been there. So, so she don't have to struggle with her stuff. And what we know from this story is this, is that Jesus never goes back to that reality, that issue of adultery. But what do we know now? He has her attention. He, he, he has her attention and he takes this very issue that she raised and he uses it to finish his saving work. In the next verse, what she's going to, she's going to raise the issue of where people ought to worship. So he presses a little bit. She's like, oh, hey, what about the weather? Or, or he presses a little bit. Oh, hey, how's the tires on your camel doing? The low on tread or the good? It's like she tries to change the subject. And she goes to that place where she raises that issue of where people ought to worship. And Jesus is so smooth, is he not? I mean, he's so good. He responds by saying the issue is how you worship and who you worship. It's so much more important than the where you worship. He even gets her there. You've got your, your perspectives all wrong. And look, look at what she says after that. Look, look at what she says in, in verse 25. The woman says to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her some of the sweetest words in all the scripture, I who speak to you am he. Oh, sister, you've been looking, and today is the day that you find. Oh, you have been searching, 
Girl, you have been fighting me up to this point, and what you are about to get to a hold of is going to change your life for eternity. So now what happens? Jesus has her attention at a much, much deeper level. See, what we see in the scriptures, Jesus don't do this. He doesn't make this bold claim about who he is. But he does it to the Samaritan woman who is in great need of a Savior. Here Jesus does that. I mean, this is the main part of the story. This is the whole premise of the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus getting to that point to rescue and redeem her The water that he wants to give her is going to bring thirst to a weary soul that is longing for something. That just doesn't know what that something is. So let's circle back for a second and think about it for a moment. I mean, this goes right back to that little phrase in verse 4. The need to go to Samaria. Jesus had the need to go to Samaria. Why? Because he was going to meet somebody there that needed him. And he was going to show and expose the one. Jesus, I love that. Jesus goes after the one. That's what he does here. Church, this is the main point of the story. This is the main point of our story that Jesus goes after. He wants to rescue and redeem and save This is what we believe. This is what we fight for. This is what we proclaim in this world that Jesus is the Messiah. That He is the Christ. That He has come to take away the sin of man. That He has come to to pay the ransom that we can't pay. To to redeem and rescue and call back. To adopt into His family. All of those big fancy words with so much meaning just simply says this. Is that He wants you to be His. He wants you to be made right with God. He wants you to spend eternity And he's going to do whatever he has to do to go after that one to do it. And that's what Jesus is doing here in a day that you would never do that. You'd never approach a woman in Samaria. And he does. And then what we see at the end of the story is this. Is the disciples, they show back up. They see Jesus talking to this woman. And they're a bit bit confused about this now too. Like, whoa, what's Jesus doing over there? But they don't say anything. And so she ends up leaving her water jar. And what does she do? She goes into town. And what does she do? This woman, and I'm just going to tell you right now, whenever you get a hold of Jesus, you tell people about it. See, the problem is we get kind of content in who Christ is and we forget what he's saved us and rescued us from. I mean, think about it for a second. Whenever you were first saved, what did you do? You told people. You didn't care. Why? Because you knew what you passed from. Well, when you're dead and you become alive, you tell people about that. You know what I'm saying? Like, you do that stuff. Like, like stuff that is really, really cool and really, really means something to you, you let people know about. And so when we're saved and we realize how nasty and dirty and in need of a Savior we are, whenever he actually saves us, we tell people about it. That's what she's doing. She runs back and she evangelizes. She goes back and she tells everyone in the town, there's this man who told me of all that I've ever did. That's what she did. They knew her. They knew her. She was at the well at noon in the day. They, they, knew, they knew who she was. But what does that do in the heart of the town? They got to come find out what in the heck's going on. And so they go. And they go. And then we get here to verse 31 through 34. And the disciples, they try to get Jesus to eat. But he is so focused on doing the will of the Father. And his disciples are just even more confused. And what this does is it circles us back and it brings us back to the place where we started. That very statement that I have not been able to shake. Look at it with me again as we, as we close here in verse, verse 35. 
do you not say there are four months, then comes the harvest? And all that's doing here in this story is kind of letting us know maybe the timetable when this is happening. They're approaching maybe the harvest season when Jesus interacts with this woman. And then he says this, excuse me, verse 35 says, Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Jesus having that conversation with his disciples as this woman's run off to tell all the people in the town who she's met and what's happening, something crazy going on down by the well. And Jesus has got his boys right there. They're trying to press him to eat. And Jesus says, but guys, stop, wait, you're missing it. And church, I just want to say, stop, church, wait, we're missing it. We are missing it. We, we are so, we're so missing it. The conversations that we can have, the engagement that, that we can have, and the things that we can be a part of, the things that we can, we can do and engage. See, what Jesus is talking about, some of the thoughts here is, is all of those people kind of coming up behind the fields. And you see that, you kind of see them bobbling along, kind of coming along, do, do bobbing down the road to get to where Jesus was and to hear this crazy guy that's been telling all this stuff, this, this messed up, uh, jacked up woman. And, and here they come and it's, it's almost as if Jesus is making reference. Look, boys, they're coming. There it is. The harvest is before us. The fields are white and ready to be picked. That's who Jesus is making reference to. And church, we're living in that same day, are we not? I mean, if you look at the world, man, if you hear the world talk, they are looking for something. We're waiting for our next stimulus. We're waiting for our next saving moment. We're waiting for our next big high. We're waiting for our next uh, great relationship. We're waiting for our next big uh, job break. We're waiting for our next uh, kid to come. We're waiting for our next, uh, you, you name it. And it's like, that's their saving hope. That's what they keep running after and longing for. We are living in this very day. I mean, the dates change, but nothing really changes in the heart of man, does it? Because they're falling in the need of a Savior. And so two things, just two things as the band comes up that I want to close with, and I'm going to be quick on this one. And I want you to hear, lock in and hear me here, please. Two things to draw from this. One, lift up your eyes. What does Jesus tell his disciples to do? Look, get your head up, pay attention, be engaged for a moment. Lift up your eyes. Be aware of what's going on. There is power and presence in paying attention. There's so much power. And good gosh, are we not the world that don't have a clue? I mean, are we? It's so crazy. Like my, my kid, my, my oldest boy will have the phone. He'll come around the corner like on my phone watching something. Smack into a wall. I mean, it's like a bird when you just like first clean the glass and boom. I mean, he's like, I'm like dude, pay attention. Oh, no, you're not. You're watching it. You're watching a phone. What's that tablet? What's that? Church, that has to be us. We've got to pay attention. Uh, we've got to do what Jesus, just lift up your eyes and see, look, be aware of. In the middle of Samaria, there's a great, great need there. As well as there's a great, great need in the middle of Bowling Springs. Middle Spartanburg. Great, great need. And so what I want to do is, is I, want to throw, I want to just issue kind of just a challenge for a moment. And, and I don't know what God will do with this. I don't know why I just haven't been able to get this off my heart either over the last few weeks and just kind of praying about it and thinking about it. And I'm just like, uh, I don't know why, but I, I just want to do this. So we're starting a summer program this summer. And we're going to have kids here from kindergarten to fifth, no, to eighth grade, I'm sorry, kindergarten to eighth grade. 
that's our hope. And I think right now we've got about 17 kind of signed up and are getting signed up and, and promises made and those type of things. I mean, that's 17 kids, 17. And it goes past that even 17 families that we're going to get an impact. And, and so the families that have been able to come, thank God, are families that can afford it. And so what I want us to do is this. I, I just want to, ch- I want to throw out a challenge for a moment. And I want to throw out a challenge of one. Of one. Would someone in here, and not now, just think about it and pray about it. Not, not now. And I, and I don't want everyone to just be kind of in the, in the moment. Maybe I should just do it in the moment. But I, I want it to be something that's prayed about and thought about. But I want to issue that challenge. Um, she's not in here. I would ask her. I, I'm thinking, but maybe one of the board members. I'm thinking like the cost for a kid this summer is about $2,400. Around that mark. 24, 28, something like that for a kid to come to this summer program Monday through Friday from like 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. And they'll get Jesus, they'll get snacks, they'll get fellowship, they'll get all of this stuff, chapel time, exposure, all of that stuff. And so I just want to ask you if you'd be willing to lift up your head and say, you know what, I could could do that. And if so, I mean, you can come see me, you can come see um, uh, Miss Becky or or Jody in the back or or Miss Tina, somebody that's on the board there. and And I just want to challenge this church. I mean, how cool would it be as if in the next two weeks or next week or couple weeks, we would go and say, uh, just knock on the door. Hey, I heard, I've heard uh, that this family needs some help this summer and we just want to take and we want to bless and pay it forward. And we'd love to just watch your kid free of charge this summer if we could. I mean, I mean, how amazing would that be? And then the second thing I would say is this, as he says this, lift up your eyes, see that the fields are white for harvest. White for harvest. What Jesus is saying is this, is that it's ready to be collected. It's ready to be gathered. It's ready to have. Luke 19.10 says it like this. It says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to save. And what has Jesus commissioned us to do? To be ministers of what? Reconciliation is what the Scripture teaches. So he has given us the very same purpose, the same charge. It's to go tell this lost world of their great need for Jesus. Jesus is going to save them. We've got the great privilege and honor of, of introducing him to Jesus, of them to Jesus. We just got to do it. We've got to engage. We've got to, uh, we've got to uh, be willing to step out of our comfort zone. Whenever he asks the question, would you be willing to do whatever Jesus asks you to do? Well, hear me, church. It's not something we have to pray about. Evangelism is not something we have to pray. Well, where do I go? You just go as you're going is what Matthew 28 teaches. You tell as you're going. You proclaim as you're going. Now, as a church, we're going to set some stuff up from time to time, and we're going to try to be intentional with some certain things and, and, and do some stuff like that to reach our community and to reach our world. But one, is just your everyday conversation. Like, who are you talking about? Who are you talking to about Jesus? And so to make it a little easier for us is this. Is it, we want to have a block party in a community around here. And we're getting some of the stuff finalized. And so what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to have Summer Campbell. She's going to be out at the welcome desk this morning when we leave. And May 1st is going to be our date. May 1st from 5 to 7. And we're going to announce next week where that's going to be. But it's going to be right here close. And we're just going to ask you if you'd be willing that evening to come. We need some people to cook hot dogs. We need some people to to watch over bounce houses. We need some people to make uh, snow cones. We need some people to engage parents just in conversation to serve people, to be a representation of who Jesus is in this community. That's what we need. And if you'd be willing to serve that way, this is a great, great way to, hey, lift up your eyes for a second. Look, the field is white for harvest. 
So a great, great way for us to kind of just help you kind of integrate into that. And we're not going to ask you to get out there with the three points. Okay, uh, do you know Jesus? No. Okay, well, the next thing it says this. Okay, we well, need to do this. No, we're just going to ask you just to engage in conversation. And you know what? Maybe we don't share the gospel yet. Maybe we build relationship with first, and then in that it gives us an, an end to be able to, to do what Jesus did here and have that kind of intimate, detailed conversation where you just kind of just push on the soul for a second and back out and continue to walk with I don't know what God will do with it. But if you're interested and willing to be a part of that, like I said, Summer will be out at the, at the welcome desk and she would love to take your name and number to be able to kind of just keep you uh, posted on that as we get to serve. That's Saturday, May 5th. So I don't know what God's pressed upon your heart or what he's done in your heart. But all I know is this, is that God is going to save and we've got the great privilege and honor if we would just lift up our heads and just notice what is around us. Notice the hurt. Notice the heartbreak. Notice the hang-up. We have got the greatest remedy for that, and it's Jesus. Father, help us this morning to hear what you have to say. Thank you for this sweet, sweet story of hope, of remembrance. God, may it encourage us. May it challenge us. God, may you do a work in our heart as a result of. And then we pray. Amen. If you guys would stand. Matt and Hannah is going to lead us in this moment of response. You be obedient to the Lord. If you need to pray, if you need to be encouraged, you be obedient.